0: This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com with your hosts, Mark Fishkin,
1: Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, New York Soccer Roundup. Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson. New York goes out to Seattle, obviously, arguably the toughest out in Major League Soccer, the team that's sitting in the Shield slot. They take a lead at halftime. And then it slips away late, very late in injury time. A Clint Dempsey goal, or was it Chad Barrett, ends New York's hope of making a statement. New York now one win in the last seven matches and two straight losses. And Red Bulls fans, uh, if they're not reaching for their pitchforks, they they are finding them in the garage. Tonight on Seeing Red, Dan and I will go inside the loss at Seattle, brutal loss. Really tough loss. Give our Bull and Cow of the Week. We'll preview New York's trip to Houston this Friday on Unimas. We've got a supersized show, and that means two guests for you tonight. The first, wingback Jamaican national team player Kamar Lawrence joins red for the first time. And then, very well-respected American Uh, American, great British soccer journalist, that's Kid Weil on Twitter. That's Graham Parker will be joining us. Writes for places like Grantland and The Guardian and The Wall Street Journal. He will be joining us to talk Red Bulls and a little FIFA talk as well. Lastly, we'll get to your emails, all that, uh, on a very, very busy seeing Red. Very, very busy week. Dan, uh, you don't want to say it was against the run of play that New York scored against Seattle, but they had a decent amount of possession and felt good going in at halftime, did they not? They
0: did, and I think overall it was a, a pretty good performance but a bad result because yep. by and large they were in the game, they didn't look uh, like they were being played off the pitch by Seattle, they lost the possession battle but they outshot uh, the Sounders 13-11 to 11. Um, uh, you know, it, it felt like they were there for the whole match both and both halves but, um, and and all credit to a well-executed set play plan that included a random deflection and Lloyd Sam being tucked behind the wall um, to pounce on a header to to take the lead. Um, but, you know, the unfortunate fact of the matter is that Clint Dempsey is good and Obafemi Martins yes. is good and Marco Papa is good and Chad Barrett, who was credited with the game-winning goal, uh, is occasionally very good as well. And uh, the ball-watching that we saw on that last goal – uh, is very bad. So I think that there's there's plenty of good to be taken away from the match, but it's going to get lost in the fact that this is a second straight loss and a loss from a leading position. And, you know, the team should have closed out the game.
1: Yeah, the first time that New York has lost a match after taking the lead so far this season. And it... The, Dempsey's goal, it just seemed to kind of come out of nowhere and, and you certainly, uh, can look at Chris Duvall and you can look at the center backs who were tracking back and completely, uh, you know, left the backside open for, uh, Barrett to tuck it in. You could, you could uh, call on our guest tonight, Kamar Lawrence, who was nowhere to be seen on the play and was pushed up way, way up there for most of the match. You can give it to Bradley Wright Phillips, who despite getting hacked down after <laughs> apparently uh, committing a handball in the box for what may have been his best chance of the day after Brad Evans took him out from behind. The, the refereeing was atrocious and New York played well enough to at least get a point if not hold on and win. Um, but it seems once again New York got their one goal, their first goal in three games. Not offset set piece you could again the, the replay looked like Sam may just have been offside but nevertheless it was uh, it's another tough tough loss it, a a, lot, a tough loss in a tough way after Philly counterattacked left um but nevertheless a late loss and New York is l- left looking for answers once again
0: Yep. And, uh, you know, I had a chance to go back and watch some of the, the game mm-hmm. highlights on the, that final goal. And you, you really have to put it on the center backs because as that cross is coming in from mirrors, you know, from, from basically nowhere, it was a hope and a prayer ball. You, you've yeah. got Damian Paranel and Carl Uemet both sort of tracking it, looking back over their heads. And they're both trying to converge and get on the ball. And there's Clint Dempsey at the back post happily kicking it across. And to be honest, had he had Chad Barrett not been there, um, I don't know that it would have necessarily gone in because it was, you know, basically across the face of goal. But you know, they had left everything wide open in front of the net, and so it goes. And
1: it- to, 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 um, we have to give Clint Dempsey credit yeah. though. I mean, that
0: was um, he's been
1: scoring goals like that his entire career. I mean, that was a phenomenal ball at an at a very, very tight angle, um, hard to to fault Robles and give it to Marco Papa as well. I mean, that was also a blast, a terrific finish turn. Duval, I think, three times before taking the shot. You know, the the story for me is, again, not getting enough quality offensive chances. Um, Stefan Fry made four saves in the match. I don't honestly remember any of them being particularly spectacular. There were a lot of balls that bounced to him in, in the box. probably had um, a
0: nice uh, curling ball in the second half.
1: Yes. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Dane Richards, I did not think, although he only played 14 minutes, brought a whole lot. This was a match where uh, here's who didn't see action. Connor Laid, Obakop, uh, good for making the bench, Roy Miller, Sean Davis, and Abang played one minute and then injury time. So this was a game where... 90, the majority of the players went 90 minutes and they were playing at a very good team and they wound up short. So curious, if you have a bull for the match, who would it be?
0: Uh, I'm going to give it to Lloyd Sam. Uh, you know, good instinct on that goal to, to get in there and, and make it work. And he, he provided some danger as he normally does. So when all else fails, give it to the guy who scored.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I, I it's hard to say. I mean, Sam was in the right place at the right time, reacted faster than anybody else. Interesting, Mike Grello was right there as well in front of the S- uh, Seattle defense in case Sam ball didn't go in, so good for him. But yeah, Sam is, is your goal for the week. And your cow?
0: Um, you know, I it would be easy to, to point at the center backs on that last goal, but I'm actually going to give it to Jesse, um, only because after the Philly loss, which was, Brutal and demoralizing. He's in a different yeah. Uh, he said, "Now everything's fine. We're going to stay the course." And look, if you stay the course, and the results are the same, <laughs> then it's a loss. <laughs> I'm 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 going to give you some grief about it. So I'm giving it to Marsh.
1: I'm going to give mine to Chris
0: Duvall, who
1: frankly got beaten for both of the goals. He was needed to at least show a little bit better. And we love Chris Duval and seeing red, but I, I just I didn't see it from him. In, in the to your point about Jesse Marsh, I, I don't know, given the players he brought on, what else could who else could have come on, whether they had come on earlier, whether Sean Davis should have seen anything. Um Dax McCarty named to the MLS best eleven for the week for his play, and he was everywhere and wonderful. But uh, Chris And, Jesse, to you, one win in their last six. New York is just kind of an ordinary team now. They have fallen back to the pack. And as terrifying as this might sound, and although they have games at hand on some teams in the East, New York is only three points above the red line. And, yes, there's lots and lots to play. There is... 22 games left for the New York Red Bulls this season at 4 3 and 5. Um, but New York needs help, and it's not going to get any easier, especially when our guest tonight, Kamar Lawrence, and Carl, we met, and Roy Miller, three defenders, the place where New York Probably has gone the deepest into their lineup this season, are all about to depart the team after Friday's match in Houston for international duty. We met is going to Canada's World Cup qualifiers. Yes, folks, World Cup qualifiers are happening this summer for some lesser CONCACAF teams, and I guess that means Canada right now. It does, unfortunately. It does. Roy Miller is off, uh, gonna be off for Gold Cup duty, and. Uh um, Kamar Lawrence has been named to Jamaica's provisional lineup for the Copa America. That's right. Jamaica is going to be joining Mexico's CONCACAF teams in the Copa America to help fill out those groups. So after Friday's match those three players will go. And, you know, we love Connor Lane on Seeing Red. We're going to be seeing a lot of Connor Lane. And Ronald Zubar, please take a Luden or something, man, because he really did. Jesus. He looks pretty happy on Instagram. I don't know, man. Um, I, you, you know who else looks happy? Uh, just uh, before every before young, Matt Miazga looks pretty happy, playing very well as the USU 20s have qualified for the group stage for the first time since 2007 by winning both their matches. And Miazga's played both games. Sorry. All no, you know.
0: no, it's okay. I think Roy Miller is actually only departing for a tune up match, not unlike what the US men are doing next week um, oh, against you. Spain, of all teams. Um, but uh, obviously we will probably end up missing Roy for the Gold Cup as well, which starts uh, July 8th, I think. Um yeah. So it it's going to be interesting to see. I believe the Red Bulls actually have a bye the week after the Houston game, outside of the Open Cup, which we'll talk about in a minute. But the, the real test is going to be that the next game, I believe, after Houston is Vancouver. And Vancouver certainly has the uh, terrifying offense this year. So if we're missing some of our defensive parts,
1: we'll see how that ends yeah, up it, going. It's a scary time, I mean, and, and we don't want to belittle what's going on here. I mean, this team is desperate for a win. They, they need to get three points at one sitting. It's been a really long time. The only team that has done worse than New York in MLS in their last five matches is NYCFC. New York has four points over their last five matches. D.C. has two. That's it. Bottom of the barrel. So it's been a pretty bare May. Uh the good news is things can all be turned around. So New York is heading to Houston this weekend and uh this Friday night at um nine PM, I believe the, the match is. Yes, nine PM on UNEMAS or MLS SAP if you are in the mood for pure comedy. Here's what's happening with Houston. Houston's in the Western Conference now. They're eighth in the West although they have the same number of points as the New York Red Bulls. They are 4-5-5 five, and five on the season. They have a, a home goal differential only of plus one. Um, Houston is led by a, a pretty decent strike force. Obviously, they had the toughest strike force in the season last week, Bemi Martins and Clint Dempsey, but Giles Barnes and Will Bruin have 11 goals between them and a single assist. Uh, the biggest assist man, to the surprise of no one for Houston, continues to be Brad Davis, former Metro, four assists on the season. David Horst is back, the, the six foot four plus defender, uh, central defense for the Dynamo, two assists on the season. Rico Clark, former Metro, two goals on the season. Nathan Sturgis, former RSL, one and one. Of course, uh, Oscar Bonia Garcia from Honduras, a goal and an assist so far this season. So this is a a veteran team, a team that New York knows very, very well. All time in Houston, uh, New York is three, three, and six, which you know, I, I, I guess that's fine. Uh, New York won in Houston as recently as October of 2013 in the three nothing win when Tim Cahill scored eight seconds into the match. Um, that was the last time New York has won in Houston. Uh, since then, in there was the 2-2 draw in the playoffs, and then a 2-2 draw last season with uh, with Bradley Wright Phillips scoring two goals. And when you think about what's happened with uh, with Houston's schedule, they tied uh, the Blue Meanies in the Bronx last week, 1-1. Lost to the Galaxy, 1-0. Nothing beat Portland, who I think is resurgent this week at home, 3-1 in their last home match. Uh, One at Toronto away. Los Jose. This isn't a team that that gives up a lot of goals. Uh, they've only let up more than three once this the uh, twice this season at um, home to Dallas when Dallas was playing very well, and also home to Sporting Kansas City. So team teams have been able to score at BBVA. It's going to be hot, folks. the The, the forecast for Friday is ninety one degrees for a high, and obviously it won't be quite that hot by by 8 p.m. Central Time, but it's going to be hot and humid, and Kamar Lawrence has some very interesting things to say when we hear from him about what it's like playing in those conditions. So, you know, as New York falls back to the pack, you you have to kind of think after games against kind of poor opponents in Philly that New York lost and really good opponents in Seattle that New York lost. This is kind of an opponent that's kind of in the same place as New York, is there any reason to think that things are going to be any different for Jesse Marshall's squad?
0: Well, I mean, you're not you're not battling a team at either end of the spectrum, so it's not a trap game, and it's not an expected brutalizing anything. I right. mean, the the two things that I would add to your your wonderful rundown of Houston is they have a new coach this year, and Owen Coyle, um, hmm. who is you know making the jump from the the English pyramid over to the American one, and we'll see how that ends up. We have a pyramid here. Uh, well, depends on who you ask. Um, but you know, he's he's been getting acquainted, and we'll we'll see what his style is really like. Um, I haven't gotten too much of a chance to dig into Houston, but the other big story for them this year, and you know, not a field player, but it's uh, Tyler Derrick and goal. He has mm-hmm. been putting up. Spectacular saves and big stops, uh, all season long outside of that SKC game, which was just brutal. Um, but he is, uh, he's a good goalkeeper. And given that New York's offense has been a little gun shy as of late, you know, they, they may get stymied again on the road with this one.
1: Yeah, uh, Tyler Derrick is my fantasy goalkeeper. Three shutouts on this season, 1.21 goals against. So he has flat-out saved them in a number of matches this season, turning losses into draws and draws into wins, and definitely one to watch. So that said, sir, who is going to be, uh, what is going
0: to be, rather, your prediction? I'm going to go with a 0-0 zero, zero draw. Wow. On Espanol as well. I, you know you the green you know? rectangle and the white bullet. Sometimes they they <laughs> just don't click. And you know, Friday night game, hot weather. I, I I'm not expecting much, so I'm going zero zero. I, I will uh,
1: because they so desperately need it, frankly. And for those of you uh, Fishkin Jinxie people out there, you can you know where you can go. I'm going to call it a one nothing Red Bulls win. This team is so desperate. They're just desperate for three points. They're too talented a squad not to have done a little bit better. Um, whether it's a breakdown on the high press that is able to uh, to squirt by Derek or some yeah, PK where Bradley Wright Phillips getting, gets taken down in the box, um, New York's luck is definitely in in space for a change. So that that's the way I see it. I see a one nothing win. I think it's going to be tight. I think uh, the defenders that are going to be playing are going to be uh, tested uh, by Houston's talented strike force, but I, I think New York's uh, do. They they're certainly have no issue with playing in Houston. They've done relatively well, well there today. And, and as you said, they better do well because after that, New York has tougher at home games, uh, June 20th against Vancouver and June 24th against Salt Lake. Before that, New York will take on the Atlanta Silverbacks of the NASL in the U.S. Open Cup. And pleased to share that I will have the honor and privilege of doing color commentary on the official New York Red Bulls broadcast of that game. So if you can't get to Red Bull Arena on the 16th, you can listen to uh, my dulcet tones analyzing the match, so I'm pretty excited for that. Um, Season ticket holders, you have, I believe, until tomorrow to accept your free ticket to that U.S. Open Cup match fourth round. And uh, soon after that, we'll hear where I think New York will go next, which should be really, really interesting, should they win. Before we go to break, one last thing. It is summer. It's June, and that means the Kicking and Screening Soccer Film Festival is upon us. Tribeca Cinemas and the Varick Room in New York, in Tribeca, of course, June 23rd to the 26th. In coming weeks we will have giveaways and passes. Among the movies that uh, are going to be screened, um, a wonderful season of failure from Italy on the 23rd, the story of Italian club Bari's failure to win promotion in 2014, a result enthusiastically welcomed by the supporters because they did not want to move up which is really, really interesting. And uh, for you MLS fans out there, and we know you are, on June 25th, the Sons of Ben uh, movie will screen. And I know how we all feel about our neighbors to the south, 90 miles, but it truly is an incredible story about, uh, take the name Philadelphia out. Imagine if there was a supporters group, which existed even before Uh, A team existed kind of like the Empire Supporters Club did before MLS was formed. Well, this team actually helped uh, bring an MLS team to to their city. And so that is on June 25th. So um, check it out, kickingandscreening.com, and um, you'll be glad you did. And next week we're going to have some prizes. For for the winner, So we'll be right back on Seeing Red. We're going to talk to number 92 for the Red Bulls. That's Kamar Lawrence Defender. Right after this, we'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Seeing
1: Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Back on Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson. After two tough losses... Getting back to business, trying to figure out how we're going to turn it around. And one of the big surprises of the season is our first guest this week, Kamar Lawrence, Jamaican, signed with the club on March 16th of this year, transferred from Jamaican Power View. He's playing left back, of course. 14 caps with the Jamaican national team, and today was named to the provisional roster for Jamaica in the Copa America in Chile, which is very exciting. Kamar Lawrence, welcome to Seeing Red.
2: Thanks, thanks, thanks for having me, and I really appreciate being being here and being on the show tonight. So thanks for having me.
1: Well, it's it's our pleasure to have you,
2: Kamar. Share with us
1: a little bit about the state of the team walking off the field in Seattle. That was a very physical, very hard-fought match. That that fans certainly thought that New York deserved at least a point. Giving up a goal in injury time is, is definitely a backbreaker. Talk to us about how you saw the game in Seattle.
2: The game was really a tough one, just being in Seattle and being there. But we we already knew what we were going there to do. We were going there to play our game, press as much as we can, try to get back the ball as soon as we lose it. And at moments, just to like stay compact and Try to let Seattle serve this destruct, and if you saw in the first half, that moment that happened, because they couldn't really break us down, we got the we got the first goal, went in with high confidence. Uh, I I don't even know how to say it really, but a couple of couple of seconds lapsed from you know the whole team, and and you know, we, we let in a couple goals. It was really in you know, a tough to to get over but the guys right now we just try to get over that right now that process and trying to be mentally and physically prepared for the trip on Friday definitely Kamari
0: you're one of the new faces on the team this year what's it been like getting used to the club and, and living in the New York area
2: it's, it's I think it was going to be a lot more difficult but it isn't because I have uh, my close friend being here Um, I got Anthony Wallace, who is a good friend. So the transition hasn't really been bad. Sometimes it's the only only problem I have, sometimes it's when the weather gets from cold to hot. So that's really the only only problem. Football, on the football terms, I'm really in tune. I'm willing to learn. I'm ready to improve at any moment. So I'm really just focused on my football right now, so and I love and I love living here, you know? I'm comfortable, and I'm happy. I find I speak to my family almost every day, so that's good. For sure. You're one
1: of a whole lot of new faces on this team, especially on the back line, right? Damien, Carl we met, Ronald Zubar, you, you're all new and then there are some players of course that have been around for a little longer. How ha have, have you guys been building chemistry because it seems like uh, there are a lot of new faces every single week on the back line.
2: If, if you go over it again, it, it would sound like a Jamaican, a French, a Canadian, Canadian <laughs> and, and Matt, and Matt has a U.S. born. So it's kind of a mixture. But <laughs> in the locker room, it's really different. Um, we communicate really well. We talk to each other really well, and that that is really a chemistry that's building from in the training session. So we kind of know each other know each other's weaknesses and stuff like that. So on game days, you know, we're prepared. A chemistry is there before we even step on the field. So it's, it's kind of difficult this week playing with Matt and then next week playing with someone else, but we train together. So it's, it's a bit easier. And we all have the same goals. We all are thinking the same, trying to go out there, trying to keep a clean sheet, trying to come home with a win, so as long as the mental part is the same then everything is okay I guess.
1: But Kamara, part of your game is pushing up and in some cases pushing up so so far, helping to spark the offense as well. Have have you always played that kind of speedy wing back role? And um, just curious if you could talk a little bit about how Jesse gives you that kind of free reign.
2: I, I kind of, uh, I've been playing that role. I've been playing that free overlapping role. But with with, with Coach Jesse's formation, it kind he kind of want me to tuck in a bit more, and I'm further up the field. So. To get back sometime, I have a longer distance to cover. And some people wonder sometimes why, why is Kimmer so high all the time? Because on any breakdown play, you know, he, he expects me to win that ball. He expects me to be there and you know, I to make that first tackle. And I, I, I love doing that for the team because sometimes uh, when the ball pops out, I get to get there before the next player does. And winning it back starting to play early and I kind of like being that player and he puts a lot of confidence in me and I just want every day I go out there I just want him to know that I go out there and do my best every time so I just hope he, hope he sees that every time
0: and Kamar if you're going to play wing back you've got to have good chemistry and a, a relationship with the, the left midfielder above you so what's it been like working with uh, Mike Rella and getting Grella? to know him? <laughs>
2: Uh, Grela, (laughs) Grela has been one of, like, one of the persons that I thought most on the team, and uh, He has been really an easygoing person to me. He has been kind in every way possible. And I think my relationship with Grela is one of the best relationships because in training we try to connect a lot and we try to bring over the same things from training into the games and I think that we have some level of success. There are still things that we need to build on, and we speak about that a lot in training, that we need to play with each other more, kind of use down the left side some more. And me me and Grilla talk about that. But it's definitely a good relationship, a good chemistry between me and Grilla. And I think between me and Grilla, it only can get better from here on. Kamar,
1: Obviously, you came in, you're a young guy, 22 years old, you've supplanted a guy who's been at this club the longest out of just about any player, and that's Roy Miller. Um, Roy obviously is further along in his career. Has he been teaching you technique? Are there things that he's sharing about that left-back position that you've been able to take and incorporate into uh, your game?
2: I didn't, I didn't hear the last part. Could you repeat that last one?
1: Sure. Are there things that Roy has been able to share with you, maybe some insight on playing left-back that you've helped incorporate into your game?
2: Yeah, Roy well, definitely do that every training session. Every training session, me and Raw have some small dialogues, and it's amazing if people just come to the training ground sometime and see how competitive Raw is and how competitive I am. They might think that these two, these two players can't be like close friends. But well, I look up to Raw, and he's kind of from a Caribbean-like background, so we speak and eat. He's always saying something positive. He's always saying something to motivate me, to push me, to make me a better player. and As I said before, I'm always willing to learn. So sometimes, it, if he wants, sometimes I go to him and I ask him questions like, you know, how to be a better defender, 1v1, what you think. And he just explains, you know, no arrogance, nothing. He just, He's just really calm and... He's a simple, and I can go to him with any question any day, and he he's he's just always willing to hear me out. He's always willing to help me. So, yeah, Lord does help, and I do go to Lord for help all the time. Kamar, we're
0: only just talking to you as you're about to get ready to head off uh, for a. a- fairly long international call-up with Copa America. Uh, What's it like representing your country at such a young age, and and how are you feeling about a tournament as uh, you know significant and well-known as as Copa America being your next stage? Uh, I
2: think, honestly, I think God has placed me on this earth for a purpose, and and, uh, despite my age barrier, um, I want to fulfill that purpose, and I want to use all the talent that God gave me, and you know, I just want to make God proud, first of all. In Jamaica, um, for a young man, a lot of people respect me. A lot of people like, to, like the way I speak. A lot of people like the way I go about playing. You see that I'll give my heart for the team every day. And people respect that. And I just want to be that person every day. And Copa is going to be a really tough cup. We have to get we got John in a really tough group, and I'm, I'm not going to be easy about it. Saying um, we're going to do a lot. We're going we're going up against really good teams, Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay. Mm-hmm. Those are really good teams. Mm-hmm. But everyone is going there for a purpose. We don't want to go there. and It's like Jamaica. Jamaica was there, and that's it. We're going there for a purpose. We want to leave a mark on the world. So definitely on a personal standpoint, I want to do well, but I want my team to do well on the day. I want us to to leave a mark, to even win a couple games, to even win a game, draw a game, and come back with some results. So I'm going I'm going there with a def, with a definitely positive mind set.
1: Kamar, you're going to be playing Friday night in Houston before you uh, join your national team. I think the forecast for that for Friday is 91 degrees. Obviously, growing up in a Caribbean environment, your body may be a little uh, more aligned to playing in that kind of weather. What what can you do? To, what can you bring to your teammates to help them deal with that kind of heat and humidity? <laughs> I'm
2: glad I have to laugh every time. I'm I'm just telling them from the day before drink water drink a lot of water you guys are going to need it drink your Gatorade drink your water (laughs) I've been telling them that from the heat started a couple days back just drink your water there's not there's nothing much you can do you just have to keep your body hydrated and just go up there and give your 100 if the coach sees that you're tired then he will pull you but for me they, they keep Smiling at me every day. So they're like, come on, you're like in heaven right now. I'm like, yeah, the weather is great right now. <laughs> but everyone is complaining that, that it's hot. I'm like, come on, guys. <laughs> you don't so, know what I'm, hot is, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like always there laughing and stuff. So it's, I know it's going to be a warm game, but I definitely think that we're going there this weekend to definitely get this win. We need this win. But we're at a tough moment right now, and I think that this is the moment that people are really going to see what the Red Bull team is about. This is the moment that we really are going to pull together and dig out the wins that we need to dig out. So I think that we're going there. It's a tough environment to play in, tough team, against a couple of my national representatives as well. So
1: sure.
2: it's going to be a fun fun night for us.
1: Kamar Lawrence wears number 92 for the New York Red Bulls. Kamar, I think it's safe to say we speak for all Red Bulls fans. Wishing you the best of luck Friday, certainly, and uh, have a great showing in Chile. We'll be rooting for you.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy your senior night.
1: There's more Seeing Red coming up after this. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Back to Seeing Red, supersized Seeing Red. Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson. Kamar Lawrence, what a charming young man. He was terrific. Very, very impressed with him. And he has a bright future ahead. And who also uh, has a bright future ahead, of course, is our next guest. And that's Graham Parker. Graham is a writer for, <clears throat> this might take a while, The Guardian, ESPN, The Wall Street Journal. He's an editor at Howler. Sometimes, over the last few years, he was chronicling what was going on inside Cherry Henry's head at Grantland. Oh, in Al Jazeera, America. Oh, in 442. He's making his scene red debut. It's Graham Parker. How are you tonight, sir? I'm um, great. Great to be here. We are very happy to have you. Um, the bloom is seems to really be off the rose out of this uh, of this team. One win in their last seven. It seemed like New York was the story of March, but they have really fallen back into the mire, haven't they?
3: It's possible that what's happening is they've kind of found their level. You still sort of feel that uh, when when I look at their first eleven and I look at certain types of uh, passages of play that they've had. I, you know, there have been moments this season, especially early on, where I was actually um, pretty impressed, pretty entertained with how they were trying to move the ball. Uh, it's just there seems to be such a steep drop off once you go beyond the, the top choice of players. And now is the time when the wheels begin to fall off and injuries and suspensions and international absences happen. So
0: uh, it could be a uh, long, difficult summer. Graham, given that we're now about six months into the tenures of both uh, Jesse and Ali Curtis, what have you made of both of them, especially as those wheels start to maybe get a little wobbly if they're not falling off?
3: I think at the beginning, it was fairly obvious that you know you you, you saw that uh, Ali Curtis in particular seemed to sort of make this move from the playbook of make a bold statement and make it early, and you just sort of went, "Wow, why did you? you really went all in on that one?" Uh, with the uh, with the Mike Petke move, and I just I just couldn't really understand it uh, tactically because it just seemed to give him such little margin for error and robbed him of so much goodwill from the the long standing fans. Um, but then when you when you looked at individual decisions uh, piece by piece even things as, you know, as as small as how the super draft went or some of his uh, uh, maneuvering around that. It it was actually kind of impressive and, um, but it, it's it's for now I think the jury is out again because I think people are waiting to see well will there be some kind of move in the summer, and you know how is the next transfer window going to go because you sort of really feel they need reinforcements right now um and Jesse Marsh was um you know I, I feel like he's done a lot a lot of things that are right, uh, a lot of things that have been uh impressive um and, and and then again, I also sort of feel like the team the team itself is kind of is is what it is right now and you know i think we, we all thought they were perhaps going to fall apart in the wake of thierry henry having been built around him for so long and uh jesse Mars has spread the workload spread the level of inspiration spread the responsibility
1: well and you know i think he's done a good job graham a, a match like sunday uh, let, let me let me uh, start that again. New York has, in successive weekends, lost to apparently one of the league's worst teams, and then lost at uh, arguably one of the league's best teams. But there is good play happening. It seems like, for whatever reason, uh, the ball isn't coming to Bradley in situations where he can score. Given the fact that this team does have some absences coming up and injuries that they're dealing with, what do you see on the field that it needs to happen differently to get him more involved? I think that teams are preparing
3: better for the uh, the Ribbles pressing game. Uh, I think that early on a lot of teams were taken by surprise by them, and you could see, even after about four or five games, Teams beginning to adjust for them and beginning to realize that there wasn't necessarily uh, always a plan B. Uh, so I think they sort of need to keep working and perhaps get a little bit more nuanced uh, in the approach play because I think teams are able to go, you know, we can, if we can uh, isolate uh, Bradley Wright Phillips and sometimes just sort of sit back and pick our way through that press, uh, then the Red Bulls aren't always able to shift to another gear. So I think that's that's a problem for them. I think again, yes, you know, an, a, another strike partner, and certainly a convincing replacement if if Roy Phillips goes down. Because as I say, when when they start subbing players in right now at the moment, it's it's looking pretty dire.
0: Graham, when when you look at the Eastern Conference, you know, given that we're now talking about six teams making the playoffs at the end of the years should Red Bulls fans be worried that there's more quality across the east especially with two expansion teams and that the team may be battling for a playoff spot late in the year or with the the hot start and hoping that you know those tweaks that you mentioned can come in the summer that they'll probably be safe.
3: Yeah, I I weirdly enough, I mean I, I think this is Probably a very uh, potentially a strong playoff team if they can get hot at the right time because I think the 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 actual discipline. I mean, you you've been in and around the locker room, Dan. I mean, you, you you know the actual spirit among the players, the sense of accountability being spread around the locker room uh, is very strong this year. There's a number of players who've really come into their own and, and shouldered responsibility, and it kind of reminds you of um, those solid sides who. Uh, if if they get hot at the right time, can sometimes go deeper into the playoffs than you know than you might they might be to some of their parts when you just look at the uh, the squad list. So it, yeah, and in, in some ways they've become <laughs> they've become an honest MLS team. Uh, I, I th- and I, I think they'll be fine.
1: I'm curious your opinion of how Sasha Kleschen has performed since coming in. He obviously is. Uh, while certainly not a massive name on a global soccer scale, he's one of the more accomplished American players that has spent quite a bit of his time um, applying his trade in Europe. It it feels like he hasn't figured out exactly where he needs to be, and I'm just kind of curious of your opinion of what he's brought to the team so far.
3: I think I was seeing signs um, over the the last couple of games, and I think he gets masked by how the results have gone and I, I, I mean i think the philadelphia game was a free game i mean you know you, i think you can play that game 10 times you don't get that result <laughs> um, and i i think this seattle game you know like likewise a couple of different a couple of different bounces or if it had gone a different way you know you could have you, you, we could have been talking about you know a quite re- re- remarkable result in some ways um, but i think that um, you're beginning to see he's beginning to find uh, the tempo of the game in a, in a different way, he's beginning to be able to operate in more spaces around the field, and uh, so I'm I'm convinced that you know towards the end of the year in particular, he's really going to start showing his value. Uh, and if, he, if you know if he doesn't know necessarily what he's <laughs> doing at the moment, then we can uh, maybe we should blame Klinsman. Klinsman's usually at
0: fault for something, <laughs> isn't? for sure. Yeah, blame Klinsman. when in doubt, blame Klinsman. It's it's, it's an easy tactic. Or step. Uh, yeah, well so good tra- good good segue there. Uh Graham, I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk at all about what was what's been going on with FIFA over the last week. Um from the arrests on Wednesday to Blatter's re election on Friday to his very sort of sudden departure today. Uh what do you make of it all?
3: I think um I, I, I think that once Blatter had arranged the town hall meeting, he knew the writing was on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Why well, did you
0: transfer ten million? Never. Right, oh, if only.
3: Uh, I, I think it, you know, it's been uh, written about and done to death, partly by me, I should say, uh, over over the last week. I, I think that any of us who, uh, you know, just as fans, let alone as people who kind of work around the game. Uh, There was a telling statement uh, by the sort of head of the uh, Auditing and Compliance Committee the other day when he was presenting his report where he sort of said the tone has to be set from the top. And we've got so used over the years to just the tone being set from the top by SEP, and it's just being disastrous and seedy. So um, I'm glad he's gone. I don't think that it solves anything, the fact that he has gone. I think that uh, let's see... Uh, partly what he does in the next few months whilst he's manoeuvring his exit, if he's given that long by the feds. And, um, you know, let's uh, let's see what that power vacuum creates and whether there is an actual genuine appetite amongst FIFA to change the structures because replacing the head of of a rotten structure isn't really going to change anything.
1: What do you think the odds are? And of course, we'll hold you to this uh, on June second, twenty fifteen. No, four to one that. No, the question is four to one that um, that Qatar will not host the World Cup in twenty twenty
3: two. I, you know, until last week, you would have said common sense would dictate that it wouldn't, and that common sense had nothing to do with FIFA. And, you know, after, after this week to actually see Blatter having gone, I think it, it, it's, it is a, a moment where you go, well, maybe, is it possible that, that, that you might actually see some, uh, some common sense or some revelations com- coming out that, that really do finally uh, expose what everybody kind of believes went on around that bid? Uh, and then it, you know, then it becomes about whether uh, FIFA, in its current form, is still able to run down the clock as it's done in microcosm in, in you know, in other situations.
1: Do you think though? I mean, for me, the issue of Qatar is less, and let's give it to the U.S. For me, the issue in Qatar, and it's, and for me, it's less about. The, you know the the wads of cash that we're throwing around. It's more about the human toll that um, we we've all come to understand that this World Cup will cost. Do you think that um, do you see an outcome that has whether it's sponsors or national FAs or the press or common sense as you said, which has been so seldom present uh, in under Blatter's FIFA that. Common sense comes to you know the pressure on FIFA to move the, the, the tournament out of there is overwhelming and it, and that's the reason it goes through.
3: I think that um, it's been a fascinating moment because FIFA has operated for so long in deference to the power of nation states. I mean, you only have to look at what they were able to do in Brazil, uh, extracting all the tax, um, superseding national law. Uh, yeah. Keeping a population in place. I mean, it was, you know, it, it, it was uh, a fairly in, in, incredible example of uh, neoliberalism going wild if you want to get really political. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it, it, you know, it was really fascinating to then see that they, they almost picked the wrong fight and that they couldn't ignore the U.S. as a territory that they wanted to exploit and to operate in, and in doing so attracted a whole set of eyeballs that they did not want to have on them uh, and and picked a fight they did not want to have. And so, which is just a sort of long way of saying that, that I think um, that if, if anything can change it, it might well be the the, you know, the judicial pressure that's coming from the U.S. and what that force is open
1: Graham Parker can be read in lots of very, very classy places, among them the Guardian, ESPN, the Wall Street Journal, which I know a little bit about, Howler, 442, and Grantland. Graham, thank you so much for joining us tonight at Seeing Red. We hope you have to, to have you back later in the season to talk a little more Red Bulls. Enjoy the rest of the year. Thanks so much. We've got your emails after this at seeingred at backyell.com. <laughs> You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup, super size show, Mark Fishkin and Dan Dickinson. Awesome Kamar Lawrence, awesome Graham Parker. Uh, and now it's your voice. Now it's time for you to share what you'd like to. This is how it works, folks. Um, our good friends at the New York Red Bulls have pledged to us on a weekly basis. The best email or voicemail of the week. And that voice line again, 973-602-9161. No profanity, please. And uh, Or you can just simply write us an email at at gmail.com The best email from now on in for the rest of the season will not only win four lower bowl seats to an upcoming match, but also field access to watch the team warm up. And we thank our friends at the New York Red Bulls for that. So, folks, if you're listening for the first time or the 214th, know that you have to write or have the best message for us that will win the prize. Here is Pierre Hellevin, who I believe may be writing for the first time, who says, Hi, quick thoughts and questions from a Pennsylvania season ticket holder. Wow, and we just thought it was a tri-state area. Uh, Five questions, Pierre asks. I'm going to pick his best, which I like very much. This is question five for Pierre. Grella, Grella, Grella. He's slow, unimpressive, always late on the ball, but occasionally capable of putting amazing shots and dribbles. Is he a keeper? No, he's a left wing. I'm a what's your, what's your thought? Oh. Your thoughts on Grella, 11 matches into the season. 12 matches in.
0: Uh, I would agree with that assessment. He is uh, occasionally frustrating, uh, oftentimes uh, a little slow to the play, but on on those moments where he's in the right place at the right time, he he does wonderful things. That that Columbus goal, you know, that that's to date the best goal this uh, team has scored on the year, and uh, you know he had that nice tap in at the back post against San Jose when when he's into it he's good um whether or not that makes him a keeper in the non goal or the non goalkeeper sense yeah.
2: um
0: i you know I think at this point the team <clears throat> doesn't have a lot of other options, and it will as we've said so many weeks uh on the show already, it will come down to what they do in the summer window to see if that's a place they're going to try and upgrade and then If they do, does he just become depth? Does he become expendable? Who knows? Um, But I think for now, he's the best option they've got on the left. Yeah, until uh, the
1: Ziz comes back,
0: and whether
1: we grizzo ourselves out or... Uh, We're going to grizzo all season long, Mark. All season long. Get well, Sal. Here's Pete Santos, who writes, Dear Voltron... In watching our boys play the last two games, it seems that our up tempo, energy drink style offense doesn't give the wings ah, ah, we need for a, nine, a full 90 minutes yeah, the first half. And this week, woo! The first half, well, you have to laugh, because if you don't, the first halves against Philly and Seattle were exciting to watch with New York keeping the pressure on and dominating a lot of the play. Both games had poor performances in the second half. What changes does the team need to make in order to maintain that exciting and aggressive style and play for 90? Is this sort of the situation where a DP could help the team with some creativity, keep up the good work? Your fan in Section 202, Pete Santos, uh, I, I would say that certainly a DP in the middle of the field would help, but we've been asking for one for some time. Although I don't necessarily think that the creativity is going to turn a poor second half into a great second half. I think what they really need is quality players that can come off the bench and truly make a difference. Dane Richards did not make a difference in um, Sunday's match. And in fact, if you heard the game, uh, neither Taylor nor Adrian were uh, very much aware, if, uh, were unsure if Dane knew where he was supposed to be on the field, which uh, obviously didn't really sound right. Um, yeah, Sean Davis is young. And our defense is injured, and so definitely a DP would help. The question is where you put it. Well, and
0: I think the the caveat that you have to put on that statement is you you need a DP the opposite of what this team normally does. You don't need a 34-year-old DP at the end of their career, you know, hoping to inject some creativity. You need somebody with some legs. You need somebody with some speed. um, And maybe the team wants to look at that young DP designation. For a change, rather than just assuming that we're gonna, you know, find somebody out of Europe who's just, you know, no longer in favor, Um, because I think that would help the team more than, you know, trying to find another Andre or Cahill or, you know, the the molds that we've seen over the last few years. So, and I agree with you completely. And uh, I I wish that more people would get away from the idea of DPS being the area you need to build, and it's more about building solid depth so that. When you have, as uh, Graham put it earlier in the show, when you've got your injuries and your suspensions and your international call ups, you have reliable players who can slot in because, you know, I'm looking forward to the rest of the month trying to think about how that back line's going to reform and I'm terrified. So.
1: Lucas Podolski is only 29. Well,
0: in that case.
1: Just saying. His last salary was 7 million pounds a year. Just saying. Mm. Okay, here is Andrew Sherman, who writes, Mark, Dave, and Dan. I think Dave's in another country right now. Maybe send us a postcard. Love the podcast. Never miss an episode. In the midst of the discussions about declining form, tactical inflexibility, needed upgrades, and underperforming players, I'd like to detour to somewhat happier days and just say a few things about Peggy Luyundula, who finally retired this week. He was a player who came to our team from the depths of PSG's reserves as a forward. Well, that's not what we were told, but he was a forward who seemingly just could not score. But a smart shift to the midfield, and Piqui became an essential part of the Supporter Shield winning team. I'll never forget his three-assist performance in the celebratory season-ending romp over the fire. This last playoffs, he was again the team hero, assisting in a wildcard victory and scoring two crucial goals against the scum. He showed up for big games and was part of some of the happiest moments I've had as a fan. And I was sad to see him officially retire while well, it seemed inevitable that we could have used his creativity off the bench this season. But now that he's retired and has a new open roster, the team has a new open roster spot and a little more salary cap. Piggy played for peanuts. If Austria really won't drop the cash on a big name DP, we can only hope and pray that the vaunted 300 page plan is filled with more Piggies than DeGaulle's. It's clear that this team could use some help this summer, and we might just receive it from an unexpected place in an unexpected way. At least that's what I tell myself. Trying to be optimistic. Au revoir, I think that's French for goodbye, no matter how badly I mangle that. Dan, uh, we finally have uh, seen the end of Piggy's uh, contract, at the very least, of course, he hasn't been around for some time. Ali Curtis himself told me he didn't want to play anymore. Um, it just seems kind of strange.
0: In, in what sense? That, well, well the just end how is, this is went a the metro article. And credit to them yeah. for getting the confirmation yeah, from the league. It just, it's just like, poof, he's gone. Yeah, no, it, it just, it's, a def- it's definitely a weird ending. Um, and, you know, I, I thought it was uh, amusing yesterday, as it turns out, uh, the A certain Michael Petke was tweeting, uh, Peggy, thank you for all you contributed over the past two years. We had our rough spots during our time together, but I always respected you. You were a big part of our two-year success, and I know you will do well in your next adventure. Au revoir, Peggy Lillian um, Dua. But I, I think the letter hits it on the head in that sometimes the the ways that teams find a way in MLS is not necessarily going out and splashing big on a DP. It's finding these role players who can slot in and thrive in a system and and bring something. And, you know, you look at how this roster is made up now. You've got Bradley Wright Phillips. You've got Lloyd Sam. You've got Felipe. You've got Dax McCarty to some extent. These are guys who are not, you know, top billing players. and, And Dax and Felipe in particular were not anybody's idea of the best players in MLS when they came to this team. I remember the uproar when, you know, Dwayne de Rosario was traded for DAX.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: you know, you look back now and everybody goes, oh, it was a brilliant move, you know, we got some of that. <laughs> and, and there's this, you know, gut reaction whenever a new player is signed, you know, if it's somebody you haven't heard of or if it's the same scouting source that the last three players came from, which I think was the complaint about Wood Sam when he came in. Because uh, right. we had so many Charlton players, um, and, and you know, in reality, every every player acquisition is not going to pan out. There are plenty that don't year in and year out. But those are the those are the moves you have to make to try and find success in this league. Because you can't bank on hoping that you're going to get a summer DP every year.
1: Here's a uh, Derby Thomas, friend of the show, who also opines on Big E. Dear Benevolous podcast megatron assembly. Is it strange that I'm more depressed about Piggy retiring than I was about Henri? I suppose from the moment Henri led the four nothing win at RFK, I've wondered what we'd do without him. But Piggy, I thought we'd had more time. He's the one that left just too soon. Consider whatever complaints you hear from other mailers about our lineup and how many of them would be solved by having, having Piggy in his preferred position behind BWP, but moving question out to the left. But he was so good against the blue team. If anyone hasn't seen the highlight video, that's on once a metro this week. Watch it and be prepared to weep, as I have, as I have about the perfect puzzle for this team just up and retiring. I put it to the, I put it to you guys that strictly in terms of the product on the field, not convincing Piggy to stick around is a much bigger mistake by Ali Curtis than replacing Petke was. Your thoughts, your buddy Derby. I, I don't know if uh, Piggy presented Ali Curtis with any options about no please come play no i am done playing i am going to open an indoor soccer center in northern new jersey but uh, i don't i'm the man as we've talked about numerous times on the show he he's got a lot more than football going on and it was time for those knees to stop running around so i don't know if there's anything that Ali could have done to entice Peggy because he certainly wasn't going to pay him a ton more money.
0: No, I, uh, certainly as a player, and I don't think you necessarily want to. I mean, he just turned 36 a week or two ago. Yep. And that's getting up there in the years, um, especially for somebody that you're... I mean, if we're talking about playing him, that's either a forward or a central central attacking midfielder. Um, yep. And those knees definitely take a beating. I, I will say that I, I was a little... I... I yeah. I don't disagree that maybe there's a way to keep him in the organization without necessarily having him on the field. You look at what happened with Ibrahim Zagaya. He's assistant coaching the the New York Rebels 2 team. Uh, Maybe there was some role that that Peggy could fill that would be helpful and useful to the organization. But if he wants to be an entrepreneur, uh, don't try and keep him there.
1: Yeah, for sure. The winner of our... And these were some terrific email folks. The winner of our first... Four tickets plus field passes, which, again, we will be giving away every week, is Carlos Salgado Russo, who writes, Hello, Masters of the Metro Football Universe. You want to start off an email well that's going to win prizes? That's pretty good. I've only been a real Red Bulls fan for five years, but the loyalty I felt towards Petke made me skeptical about all the changes Ali brought about. However, I was quickly won over with a new style of play, the RSL-esque team-is-the-star mindset which empowers quality players like like Dax, Sam, and BWP to expand their roles on the field and in the locker room. I didn't even mind all the ties. Hey, they're better than losses, and we usually look like the better side in most of them. However, Sunday's game slapped me back to reality. Systems are great, but stars win trophies. And when I say stars, it doesn't have to be a household name but someone with at least an 80 FIFA rating. We can make the playoffs with a great system of hardworking players, but to fill up cups with some of that empty space in our trophy case next to La Manga and Emirates Cups and the Shield, we're going to need to emulate big market clubs like the Galaxy and Sounders, not RSL, and get back in the market for international quality players, preferably under 35. Hell, Barca, the team with the best system and best player, still needs to bring in Neymar and bitey McRacist to get back on top. A blend of youth and experience local and international, homegrown and free agents is what's needed, not a pendulum swing from old top-heavy aging star system that got us close, but only one real trophy, to a more youthful and cost-effective season that I predict will get us similar results at its predecessor. What do you think, and do you have any specific ideas about available players that could realistically be brought in to help us win some hardware for the next few years. Thanks and keep up the good work, Carlo Salgado Russo from Montclair, New Jersey. That is uh, a very interesting and well thought out treatise that you can't simply do it. I mean, RSL has a single trophy in their trophy case, and that's the 09 MLS Cup, as the, um, you know, the somehow uh, noting that the team is the star is, in fact, how it's supposed to work around here. So, I, I think. It would certainly help at the gate to have a name come in, and we've talked about, you know, after a weekend where the U.S. Women's National Team truly filled up Red Bull Arena, um, to think about what it would take both at the gate and on the field. Do they need a star in order to compete for MLS Cup?
0: I don't think so, because the certainly everybody points to RSL for the, you know, you can win without a star, but. You know, you look a year later, and you've got Colorado taking MLS Cup with uh, Connor Casey as their their main guy. I mean, that that was not a spectacular um, team in 2010 that won the cup, but here we are. I think what people are seeing is you look at the last five years, and you see the Galaxy taking three of the five MLS Cups, yeah, and. When the Galaxy won that first one in 2011, not their first cup, obviously, their first in, but this, their, run, their first yeah. in this run, um, you know, there was so much talk at the time about how teams with designated players did not win MLS Cup. There was right. this whole narrative about no team with a DP has ever won MLS Cup, and that was five or six years into the Beckham rule at that point. So it, it was kind of funny that they finally did it, and now everybody's like, well, now you have to have one.
2: <laughs> and I don't
0: even you know sport in Kansas City credit to what what Peter Vermees is doing what Rob Heineman's doing and, and everything about that organization but I look at them and especially in 2013 when they took on the cup I don't see that as a club where I'm thinking that the DPs that they have are you know naturally born DPs uh, you know they had a striker whose name I can, I can no longer remember as a DP who sat on the bench the majority of the year because he just wasn't cutting it, and they had, you know, they had Dom Dwyer, and he was doing a good job. Graham Zussi. Yeah, you've got, you know, you've got these other guys, you've got Graham Zussi, you've got Matt Diesler, you've got, you know, Pablo Nagamora, and Benny Failhaber now in the midfield, you know, it it's still that same model, yes, some of them may be on DP contracts to keep them from bolting to Europe, but, you know, nobody is thinking of them as, oh, that is the, the, Archetype star DP that you need. And, it, it, you know, with regards to teams have, needing a player with an 80 rating in FIFA, um, there are four players in MLS that have a 80 rating in FIFA. And they are, Who are they? Kaka, Clint Dempsey, Michael Bradley, and David Villa. And that's it. What is Josie, Ray? Uh, Josie, I, you know. Something lower, apparently, because he's not yes. in my top list here. Okay. Uh, hold all on. Right. We, will, we will find this out live over you the You are air. a font of knowledge. Uh, he is a 74. Okay. All right. And that's a silver card. That's not even a gold card. Josie, right. Josie should be upset about that. Um, <laughs> anyhow, so um, with all that said, yes, a star certainly helps. It gets people in the door. It energizes the team and everything else. But I don't know that that's the style that – Jesse necessarily wants to play um I don't know that uh, you know that that triangle in the midfield is pretty well cemented. I don't think that changing at any of those parts is necessarily gonna lead you to anything better, and I know most yeah. people would probably point to Sasha's being the weak link of the three, but they just brought him in, so if you you know that that's not the position that's most readily changed up. I think you've got options on left mid um and it's. It's certainly something that the team should look into, as we've been advocating for week in and week out. Um, yep. And maybe you you know, look at a defensive DP, but finding a wing back that's you know really exciting and internationally known is kind of difficult. Last I checked, um, so I think it's tough. And you could potentially look at another forward, but then you're changing the whole system because. Bradley, we will remind everybody, is also a designated player at this point. That's right. So.
1: By the way, um, Seattle Sounders have no appearances in MLS Cup, DP-heavy squad. Toronto FC has never made the MLS playoffs, and they are, uh, although this year I think will, will be will be different for them. So when you talk about big market teams... You know, DC United which you cannot call a big market team at least from a spending standpoint has not made MLS Cup in 11 years so despite all their wins they there most of them are way in the rearview mirror and New England yes Jermaine Jones obviously was a big part of how the Revs got to MLS Cup last year um, he's injured and isn't going to be helping the US over the next couple of days and New England has kind of struggled as well along with New York they' Their, uh, with the Red Bulls, they only four points in their last five games. So, but nevertheless, a great uh, discussion and a great email from Carlo. And we'll be in touch with you about your free tickets, your your prize tickets, as well as field passes before the game. This has been a terrific seeing red. Uh, very very busy. Lots to talk about. You and I barely even talked about FIFA at all. Um, and you know, we'll have to pick that up as as life goes on. Um, you can check out. Uh, Matt Miazga and the USU 20s playing Ukraine in the group stage and then they'll finish first or second in the group and they'll be on to the knockout phases Uh, the Women's World Cup will start before we're back uh, next week uh, with uh, a new fantastic guest so lots of soccer to watch the Red Bulls Friday night 9pm on Unimas Dan calls it a stifling 0-0 draw I'm uh, going out of the limb by saying New York's going to finally win a game just imagine, one nothing down at BBVA. For Dan Dickinson, Kamar Lawrence, as well as Graham Parker, I'm Mark Fishkin saying thank you very much for listening to this episode of Seeing Red, and we'll be back next week. Good night, everybody.
0: This has been
3: Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup, on Backheel.com. Listen anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, and SeeingRedNY.com.